0: Welcome to Press Play, the Street Cred podcast with Elena Krasnow, yours truly, and Jimmy Moak from Street Cred PR. In this podcast, Jimmy and I will welcome industry leaders, journalists, influencers, and friends of the firm to shed some light on who they are and the various twists and turns that led them to where they are today. We're grateful to have you listening in and we hope you enjoy the show. My name is Elena Krasnow. Welcome to Press Play, the Street Cred podcast. I am so grateful you're here. I'm the editorial manager and client brand evangelist at Street Cred PR and your host for today's show, along with co-host and managing partner, Jimmy Moak. We'll break down the show into two segments, Press, where we dive into all the hard news about our guest's life and their professional goals, and then Play, where we have a little extra fun with it. Today we are over the moon to be joined by co-founder and chief commercial officer of F2 Strategy, Liz Fritz. To give our listeners a little more background on Liz and all her wonder, at F2 Strategy, Liz leads all brand strategy, digital marketing, advertising, social media, content, and public relations whew, for the organization. She brings almost 20 years of experience working with some of the most well-known global brands in the high net worth and ultra high net worth space, such as Wells Fargo Private Bank, Abbott Downing, U.S. Bank, and BNP Paribas. Liz is also a frequent industry contributor, webinar participant, and proud alumna of Chief The only private membership network focused on connecting and supporting women executive leaders. She's particularly passionate about creating a company culture of well being and support, and supporting other women in wealth tech and fintech industries, and is also the mother to two active boys, wife to her amazing husband and business partner, Doug Fritz, and dog mom to an Australian Labradoodle. Liz, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much, Elena and Jimmy. It's wonderful to be here. We're so So excited. Yeah, Yeah,
0: thanks for joining us. We're thrilled to have you. Um, Before we get into
1: inviting me,
0: yes. Well, before we get into all things entrepreneur life, marketing, PR, Australian Labradoodles, we like to start off with an especially
1: important question What did you have for breakfast today? That's a really important question and something that I have to remind myself every morning to actually eat. So um, as you can imagine, I've got an eight and 10 year old boys. So our mornings are very between playing calls and team calls and getting the boys off to school and camp and the dog out. So I always go straight for coffee. So I like a latte just with no sugar straight up. Um, And then I try to get in a bowl of oatmeal every single morning. So that's what I had this morning, just simple oatmeal with a few walnuts and some blueberries.
0: I'm an oatmeal girl too. Simple. Yep. Well, that's why we ask this question is because I think most of us struggle to feed ourselves in startup life. So it's important that we acknowledge mealtime.
1: It's one of those very, it took me a long time. And then as an entrepreneur realizing just intentionally meal planning for yourself is the ultimate self-care. So that's yes. my number one thing every morning is make sure I feed myself something healthy. Absolutely. Jimmy, any breakfast thoughts?
2: I am a Raisin Bran Crunch guy, or you could probably tell by my physique when you see me in person that, uh, <laughs> I do love to have a, a bagel a couple of times a, a week, as reflected by my my stomach. <laughs> um, but hey, we only have uh, one chance to right. to play this game, so to speak. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do it and uh, enjoy those bagels when I can. Liz, <laughs> I know that we've mentioned this once before, but we have like a opposite type family i have an eight-year-old daughter a 10-year-old daughter and a cat not a dog look at that
1: wow look at that here it's exactly the same but opposite
2: yep yep and
1: fascinating
2: At this point in the summer, I've just about had it. I'm ready to send them back to school, but (laughs) they have yet to do their required reading of three books each, Mm. and uh, I'm looking forward to tonight's argument with my daughters about their reading time.
1: (laughs) Yep, totally relatable.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hilarious. I was not that child. I was like the child you couldn't rip the book away from, so if you need me to influence them in any way, I'm happy to hop on.
1: Let's do a joint call in a couple hours, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Perfect.
0: Amazing. Well, Liz, let's dive in. I've had the fortunate experience of hearing your story before firsthand at FinTech SFM, which was an incredible experience. But for the rest of our listeners, could you just share a little bit about your professional journey and how you decided to jump ship from the corporate banking world and enter the exciting world of wealth tax? Just generally, we'd love to hear more about what inspired you to team up with your husband, Doug, and pursue life as an entrepreneur at F2 Strategy.
1: Yeah, no, great question. And I um, I shared this story with Nicole Kasperson's FinTech is fem event at the NASDAQ Center in San Francisco, so and it was so much fun. And it was really powerful to hear the feedback when I shared my story. I mean, a lot of us don't necessarily think our story is that different or that unique, but then when you share it, with others, it really resonates, especially with other women in the tech and financial services space. So I'd be happy to share it again. Um, You know, I started my career out after college just wanting to move to San Francisco. I'm a Bay Area native um, with my girlfriends and have fun. So I just literally went to my job board at UC Davis and found a couple positions and ended up um, going with Wells Fargo Wealth Management and being the executive assistant for the head of their marketing and PR division at wow. the Wealth Management Group, which was a phenomenal opportunity. He still is a dear friend, uh, Martin Skay, and mentor of mine. And he was said, you know, if I could keep him organized, I could get involved in any project I wanted. And so um, I really kind of started to to climb and scale the corporate lattice, I would say. I dappled in uh, marketing and PR Um, I went over onto the private bank sales side and I came back and did some consulting at Capco after that. I was really hungry to learn as much as I could Consulting was wonderful back then because I you know, I think I was about 27 or 26, and I got to ex- kind of see a whole bunch of different companies, not just Wells Fargo, um, and really realized my niche and my passion was this kind of in-between sales and marketing, so this intersectionality between um, supporting advisors and the business from a marketing perspective. And because I was on the sales side, I still to this day have a deep-seated passion and um, empathy for the front line of folks doing doing mm-hmm. what they do, and so I really try to weave that into the work that I do. And I, I from there I, I continued on in in wealth management. So I um, again that lattice of um, trying out different disciplines, and and that ladder of um, moving myself up into um, kind of the corporate ladder into the the you know. Overseeing entire departments for firms such as U.S. Bank and um, BNP Paribas in all in San Francisco. So, um, wow! You know, I was corporate, corporate Karen, corporate. I don't know corporate Karen. Is. I like I like alliterations. Corporate Carol, corporate too. Kathleen. Um, and really, you know, surrounded myself with um, mentors, both men and women men- mentors, and really just. Felt like it was noble work, you know, providing financial literacy and education to people. Um, you know, money doesn't buy happiness, but money provides options and especially in with for women. And so found my space. Within that time, Doug and I met Doug at back in Wells at Fargo days. Gosh, I think 17, 18 years ago. I have to look now and um, kind of went on separate but parallel paths within the same industry. And so when he decided, uh he was at First Republic at the time as their CTO, he decided to to really build this dream of his is to create a consultancy that he wished he had um, for his technology decisions. When you, you know, when you get to a certain level in a big organization, you don't really have peers anymore. Your peers tend to be running their own divisions. And right. so he wanted to be that you know red phone bat phone um to his colleagues and peers and other CTOs in the space. And thus F2 Strategy was born. Love uh, it. I did not join and I did not I did not actually name F2 Strategy. Doug did that as a subliminal um two Fs, meaning Liz Fritz, Doug Fritz to get me to join. Uh, <laughs> no way. I, was, I thought I was gonna be the you know conservative. Steady Eddie with benefits and him off with this great dream and support the family. Um, in that time, I we had two boys and they were babies. And I really saw Doug working in a different way. This is pre-COVID, right? So yeah. he, he was able to um, work from home, work from client sites, um, really have this fluidity and space within his, his corporate life that I never really even knew existed. Again, pre-COVID, right? So as, and spending time and being there to drop off and pick up our boys from preschool and all of that. And I found myself, I call it the, you know, like soul sucking corporate slog commute back and forth every single day over that Golden Gate Bridge. And I saw him do something different. And we just started talking about you know, what would it look like bringing like literally marrying our talents, him as a wealth technology expert, me with a marketing and and, uh, communications and PR background, what would that look like? And it actually turned out to be the most phenomenal marriage of talent. So I put in my notice a year later, joined the firm and I've never looked back.
0: Oh my gosh. Such a cool story! I love that. I didn't even know that about the name. Yeah, that he yeah. subliminally did that to
1: draw you in. It's genius. And I guess it's not so subliminal, but not there's two apps. So <laughs> there's two of us. <laughs> I didn't
0: yes. have a choice. Yeah, so, and I mean, what the the perfect marriage of your talents, like you said, that's incredible. Yep.
2: I've got a follow up, sure. and we might not have uh, prepped for this one, but you you hit on something that interests me working in corporate PR and comms, whether it's external or internal. When I think of that, I think of, a. uh, and no disrespect to Wells or any major bank, but I think of a ocean liner and they are hard to turn around. They don't always go so fast, steady and slow. And um, now at F2, there's a you've you've been witness to a, a totally different approach to PR. And I know we're going to get into that a little bit differently, but any insights you could share in terms of the, the difference between then and now?
1: Totally. I mean, night and day and a lot of it, we can dive into that a little bit later in the conversation too, if you'd like. But um, you know, so much, I learned so much incredible. Insight and experience working with veteran um, ocean liner, like you said, organizations. You know, they have being able to see um, how client journey mapping happens in order to see how value propositions and um, thought leadership strategies are put into place with like the some a lot. You know, the top minds of the industry was incredible from a learning perspective, Um, again, really slow, right? So part of that, you know, kind of dovetailing off what we just talked about, my transition to become an entrepreneur was some of the things that I, not necessarily was frustrated by at my former organizations, but what I was excited for as an entrepreneur was to be able to be more nimble and agile and less layered decision making which just slows things down. it's you know it's um, to learn it's phenomenal because you have time and and the ability to hear all different types of um, not only thought leaders and individuals within your department but working with organizations like compliance. Right. That's something that a lot of these organizations really do take and need to take very seriously with all the regulations. So, how does that work? How do you speak in a highly regulated environment? Within F2, it's really fun because we get to be a little bit more nimble. A lot of our clients were and still are some of those, you know, large, very modern, innovative RAAs, like they can make decisions a little bit quicker than some of these bigger organizations. And that's goes into their value prop, they get to, you know, really evolve and pivot with their end clients, because as end clients, we all evolve. I mean, today, it's like technology is different than a month ago. And so it's fun for me at my point in my career to really be able to um, every day come up with like a new idea how to do something or like, think out of the box and do it on a much faster scale. So to me, I find that exciting, but I'm like forever grateful to have learned the the foundational processes that I can then bounce off and create that, you know, creative space around. Yeah.
0: Going off of that segues perfectly into our next question. Could you just tell us a little bit more about what it was like representing those behemoth brands and maybe what was one of the best learning
1: moments you had while you were there? again, to me, I'm so incredibly grateful for the, the, the people that I worked for and the people that I worked with. I mean, these individuals, I was able to learn and, and as a woman coming up in our industry, I think creating mentorships and trainings, like I was able to do that with those individuals. I did it proactively. There wasn't a lot of, um, at that point in time, a lot of, uh, infrastructure to mentorship programs, but I called it, I built my own, um, board of directors around me within my organizations and kept them along the way. Um, so I learned the system. I learned the process in a very clear and articulated and bureaucratic. And I say bureaucratic, not in a negative way, but very like, um, methodical process. So I almost feel like I learned how to be a disciplinarian when it comes from, or I learned the discipline of marketing communications and PR. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I I, really, to me, that was really incredible. And I got to see brands expressing who they are in a way that they've owned for some of these companies, a hundred years or hundred right. plus, right. And to see how they continue almost like to bring everything back to those value props and who they are and make mm-hmm. sure the clients feel safe and secure with them. Um, so I think to me, that was the most um I definitely wouldn't have been able to build what I've built at FT strategy without that foundational, um, you know, those foundational bones in my body from the, you know, my first year out of college. Such an amazing experience to have right out of college.
0: And it's taken you on such a beautiful path.
1: Yes. Um, And I will do one little plug, which is always kind of a funny plug, but I really, I had some phenomenal compliance partners and mentors along the way. And so I know a lot of us think, oh, compliance, you know, it's the, the say no or business prevention group, but I really (laughs) learned, um, the, the beauty kind of the, or the, the, not even the beauty, what they have to balance within an organization in such a highly regulated, regulated industry. Right. And, a lot of the frustrations on either side and so i i do ki- kindly hold all of my compliance partners that i've worked with that have helped me understand that and help me work through and get creative within that regulation
0: absolutely be kind to your compliance friends they're yes. always trying to help us stay safe
1: they are they are
0: <laughs> i love that point um so from your experience working with this t- different array of brands in different sectors how have you seen public relations and marketing efforts really take brands to the next level? And what do you think are some of the key ingredients a strong marketing and PR program have specifically in our industry?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's such a great question. And it, it it goes back to this like almost unforeseen marriage of talents that Doug and I brought together with tech and marketing because we were building out um, the product offering and service offerings of F2 Strategy. And when our clients have decisions around what type of client experience they want to create with technology, I started to see all the same questions that we would do within a marketing conversation. It's like, who is your target market? Who? What are you great at? What do you want to be great at? You can't be good at everything. What do you want to be great at? Don't buy technology for the sake of technology because it's shiny and cool looking. Um, you know, a lot of that. And so for me, I think the, the biggest... The starting point for, for folks, and you can be anywhere along the spectrum in your own personal journey, whether you're you know, working to innovate your tra- tech strategy, or you know you wanna do a little bit more marketing, but you don't know where to start, is going back to your value proposition and who your target market is, and really make sure that that's crisp. And once you go back to that and do the work of, um, it can be scary, because sometimes you don't wanna exclude anybody, but you go through and either find a partner to support you through that, Process, but really just clearly articulating what you do great at, who you are as a firm, and who your target market is. And then from there, everything uh, business planning, marketing planning, PR planning, then you can make decisions that all support that mission and value proposition that you put in the beginning. Because if you start to go too far down the path without having done some of that almost internal work yourself, Mm -hmm then you may have made decisions that seemed good, but you're not basing it on the trajectory of your business. So to me, it's really like, mm-hmm. who are like, who's your target market? What are your values and what mission are you you know bringing to the space that makes you different?
0: Yeah, sure. totally. Well, I've been wholly impressed by the body of your work. Everything that you have done is just incredible. You've such an amazing career. However, being the girl's girl that you know I am, your work to uplift women in financial services in particular has really spoken to me. I loved your post here, Wealth Tech, which everyone should go read by the way, and can be found in the show notes. But can you tell our listeners a little bit about the initial post and how it led to F2 Strategy's social campaign women in Wealth Tech?
1: Of course. No, that's um. Thank you for the, the the plug. That that piece is one of my first pieces, and still resonates so deeply with me, and comes up in conversations quite a bit. Um, as a as a female executive, female business founder in the financial services industry, um, who isn't necessarily. The biggest extrovert i prefer and and you guys know this all my colleagues know this i prefer to be behind the curtain i like to be you know wizard of oz a little bit uh, <laughs> but i did i kept hearing and having requests from my colleagues and my peers and my friends saying liz can you share a little bit more about your story how you got there like where what do you think the the industry needs to hear and because f2 strategy has created such an incredible brand and gravity back to us I realized I had the platform and kind of I owed the the industry to talk, yeah. which you know, I've had a lot of these conversations behind closed doors, closed zoom calls. And now uh, <laughs> uh, behind virtual doors and, and in person. And I just felt that um, while it might not be my total comfort zone, it was time to have those conversations. And so for me, it was really about three main buckets of focus is cr- for women in particular in this industry. And actually a silver lining of COVID, if we can find them, um, is that it did kind of put a spotlight on this and allow for some of these mm-hmm. tips pre-COVID, right? So um, allowed for some of these suggestions to become more natural. The first is really creating space for women. Um, we tend to, and again, I am a woman and I, I don't have the, the lens of, um, you know, Jimmy, so call me out here, but I, I, I kind of feel like parents and caregivers in general. Um, so it can speak beyond just women at this point, um, but creating the space to really have a fluidity between work and life. And again, this was written when most people were still working out of an office and you right. were in daycare or your elderly parent was somewhere while you were working. So I do think that um, in this new hybrid world that we, we live in, it, it does help with creating some of that space. Um, But as a leader and Doug and I are big big advocates of this is leading with that, right? Like showing that we have other elements. I think before we um, started this call, I was showing you, my dog is laying right next to me, like those little glimpses into, into life. Or, you know, if you have to cancel a meeting because your kid's sick at school and has a fever, I was told to never say that, that, that was the Mm -hmm. corporate, you know, corporate life I grew up with is, is don't let them, don't let them see that work is not your priority. Whereas right. I really think we need to, as, as managers and as colleagues of, of women and, and, um, caregivers throughout the industry is make it okay. Lead by example to give them space for family, for pets that need to go to the vet for movement, right? Like, um, take away that guilt that to me is so ingrained in the, in the industry. Yeah. Um, secondly is tolerance, right? So, It's, you know, that's kind of a fancy word for basically allowing those conversations to happen and not judge. And so if I'm like, hey, Jimmy, I I needed to reschedule this podcast because my kid is sick tolerance and acceptance of that and normalizing that we have we all have lives and commitments i hope outside of work that makes us the beautiful humans that we are um and so to me again as a as a female leader and Doug and i do this collectively showing that um showing our vulnerabilities when they pop up in life and asking for help and letting people know by example that there's there's tolerance for that within the culture of your firm and then lastly is something that is really important to me is giving specifically women capacity to grow. And so I think I've seen a lot of great strides um, in the last couple of years around this, but creating uh, programs and um, pathways for progression in our careers as women. You know, creating space and tolerance. So, like me, I took two years off um, when I had our boys. They were two years apart, um, and I was able to come back into the organization. You know, into the corporate world. But creating um, mentorship pathways and opportunities to help women, in particular, uh, grow. It's it's hard. I was um, I grew up in a, at an all girls school where women could be anything, women could do anything. I was almost blindsided a bit when I joined corporate America to realize that some of the hardest folks to work with were women. And so I think it's really important that we check and make sure that our organizations are providing those pathways. And again, whether it's up a corporate ladder, across a corporate lattice, taking a break, going down a little bit, you know, and just giving those opportunities so that we can all support each other and and rise together.
0: So beautifully said. I love that. And I really love what you said, too, about being transparent about our vulnerabilities and how that Creates a space where women and not just women can be open and honest about what's happening in our lives and reach out for support when we need it. I think I really appreciate. Like every day, I go on a walk. I need to do that for my anxiety, for my mental health. And never, ever once do I feel guilty for doing that at StreetCred. Like it's just support. It's like go do the thing you need to do, and then come back when you're ready. Um, So I do think in this new post-pandemic world, we have so much more flexibility to you know, add that level of care into the equation that maybe didn't seem evident before. But I really just, yeah, I love everything that you just
1: said. And I do think it's important. We've got Jimmy here, right? So we've got we're, we're like we can girl talk, but Jimmy's Jimmy's here as well. But I I do think it's it's as powerful, or in some cases even more powerful, to have the yeah. men and you know our men colleagues and our men leaders doing the same, right? Like I oh, love Ryan. about your your girls and your cat Jimmy, you know, seeing that you also are able to share that. That's you know, it's not just women that need to do it. It's it's all of us.
2: Well, I I remember when we had Olivia and when we had Daphne. What's the normal time for a male to take off after yeah. the birth of a baby? Yep. I, I was looked at funny when I requested more than 1 week. Gosh. And that's only one chance that you have for, you know, those formative days and weeks with with your child before you get back into the car and you have your hour and a half commute each way and you're thinking to yourself like what am I spending time on? I mean right this moment we have a colleague who uh he and his wife are in the delivery room yes. right now and we're not going to see it. we're not going to see Will for about 7 or 8 weeks afterwards and that was something that Jason and I thought about in terms of making sure that um people have that time and that chance to really invest in their lives outside of work because then they're going to be they're going to feel more a part of work when, when they come back after they have that time. Absolutely.
0: Um, you it's mentioned- really motivating, honestly, too, to just like feel taken care of by your employer and the people that you work with. Like it makes you want to do better work under those conditions.
2: Yeah. And, and I'll, and I'll admit, look, I have three daughters, four sisters and a mom. And um, you know, this post COVID world, Has I I think that upbringing has helped me become a better listener, supporter, hopefully employer. And, um, you know, I too can be inspired by your story, even though I'm a a male counterpart and we're also, you know, we have the the client agency relationship, also, but, um, I also do have two ex-wives so maybe I'm not all good at uh at communicating with
1: relationships her, are complicated yeah. that's yeah. a whole other bucket that's yeah. a whole other
0: podcast that's oh. a whole yeah. other conversation <laughs> um, but
2: I'm vulnerable enough to bring it up and talk about it that's let that true. be on the record that's
0: true vulnerability is cool you heard it here first people yeah <laughs> um awesome well Liz you are a force F2 strategy has made such a name for itself in the industry with you at the helm of marketing and PR and recently your team has made a particularly big splash how do you see the firm's recent acquisition of Oakbrook Solutions and addition of a private equity partner driving F2 into an even brighter future
1: thank you yeah it's it's uh, it's been quite a ride and we've you know been so grateful for the partnership along the way i think like selfishly um, within my world, working with you and your team on sharing this with the industry has been just a joy and a pleasure. Um, again, you know, Doug and I started very, you know, at the very core when it was just, he and I almost eight years ago, founding F2 is really, um, helping people make great decisions and do good with it, with technology in their businesses. And so, um, as you can see, over the last seven and a half years, it's resonated. Um, we've been you know, working with a lot of the, the, the honor of working with some of the most innovative, um, forward-thinking clients in the space. They in, inspire us every single day. Um, however, Doug and I are both from the wealth management industry. So he and I have always been quality over quantity from day one, do it really well, Client service is huge for us. Um, so we wanted to scale very, very intentionally. And so we, um, you know, over the years grew um, intentionally and slowly to make sure that we were providing the quality of service to the clients that re- in reality are Doug and You know, we're from the same industry, are our friends and colleagues, are people that we admire and um, want to see succeed. And so we got to the point about a year ago where we saw so much demand in the space and so much need. And we keep kind of jumping back to COVID. It's COVID accelerated. I think, you know, our, I would say our industry is maybe 10 years behind technology wise COVID, you know, shot us up to maybe we're five years behind, like some of the big tech industries, tech focused industries. Um, But the demand really exceeded what we were able to, you know, Scale to at the speed that is needed. So, Doug and I made the decision to say, like, okay, now is the time to really think about how do we bring this offering to more companies in a way that is um, authentic to kind of the F2 way high quality, high touch, high tech. Um, And that's when we started exploring uh, capital partners and looking at other folks in the industry doing really incredible work. And so, thus born, um, you know, the, the, Marriage of Renova's Capital Partners and Oakbrook Solutions. Um, Oakbrook, uh, led by founded and led by Craig Cook, is um, one of our you know close. We we don't really even say we had co- competitors. They're just colleagues. They're, we work together. We know their team really well. They were really the yin ying to our yang. Mm-hmm. Um, our value propositions are already so united, and our skill set is already so. Um, deeply experienced within the space, yeah. it was almost an inevitable, easy, of course, the bringing these two together, they had more of what we needed, a deeper bench in and we had more of what they needed, a deeper bench in and bringing those two powerhouses together has really created, um, you know, as a marketer, I'm like, okay, we need to go, we need to look at our, our value proposition. And it really doesn't change our value propositions at all. It just expands. And so now with this kind of sh- trifecta force we can bring more offerings to more of the clients in our space that are saying like yeah we want to be the advisor of the future we need to embrace technology and we need a trusted partner to do that and now we just have the capacity and scale to do it faster than if we were to do it on our own so we're super excited
2: i i hear you on the capacity and the scale front but i have to imagine that there were nights where you and Doug are sitting across from one another at the dinner table or in the kitchen island, and I would imagine that there was both anxiety and excitement because F two was going to be going from a boutique to an employee with multiples more of of employees. Yep. Talk that through. What was what was that like? And yeah, I realize and- Doug's not here to defend himself or, <laughs> yeah. or weigh in, but Some
1: better. Um- and that could also be a fun, you know, over drinks or you know, another conversation. Is is really the the M and A process, right? As a founder, founder yeah. led, founder um, owned company. So Doug and I are the the sole founders and and one hundred percent owners of F two Strategy. And what we really loved about Renovus was they they um, particularly believe in in founder owned and run firms. So we really resonated on that. But agree, um, you know, we were. Living in, you know, outside Silicon Valley at the time, and they have something that they call their uh, founders syndrome. And there's this point in time where uh, founders tend to not be able to let go of the reins and understand when they they need and or could benefit from outside expertise. And so Doug and I really, had a lot of conversations around what does this growth mean for F2? What does this mean for the company that we've built from a lifestyle perspective? Right. I said, I I left corporate America to spend more time (laughs) with my kids. And are we turning back into a larger firm? Um, And at the reality of it, we, we came to the understanding of, okay, what are the things that we're just at capacity for? You know, we've got a vision, we do what we do really well how do we get to the next level where we're doing the things that we do really well and we can kind of scaffold other people around us to make that F2 way or that F2 experience even better. Mm-hmm. And it was this ability and kind of vulnerable way of saying like, you know what, I'm not a great head of HR or a head of accounting. I don't like to do that. I'm not yeah. good at it. as a, you know, as a small business, I wore a lot of hats. I mean, I, I'm sure you guys can can resonate with that, oh, but yeah. like accounting to HR to like making copies and printing things and ordering catering and and what do we had opportunity to say, like in this evolution, we not only give better advice to our clients and better um to to um, a better a wider array of clients, but we also we still have two kids. They're eight and 10. Now when I'm working, I want to spend my time on things that I'm really good at and really passionate about and making an impact. And we had this opportunity to grow and hand some of that stuff off to amazing people, experts yeah. that can run that. And so I do what I do and then I can, you know, spend time with my boys and, and spend time outside of work as well. So it was, it was um, it's a complex emotional journey, Jimmy, to, to answer your question. And I think one yeah. that's, talking about. I think folks are interested too, because we're also married, right? So how does that all work together? And we can dive into that another time, but it's a really um, complex journey that I think that emotional or behavioral element of m a just isn't talked about as much. It's more of um, like deal rooms and, you know, who's getting bought by who, but there is, especially with founder owned businesses, there's an emotional journey of making sure that your company stays authentic to their, their mission in which yeah. we know we are, and we still drive that, but we can also offer it to more people because we believe this is something that helps our clients and our peers and our colleagues within their own businesses. And at the end of the day, helping end investors have that, those tools to empower their lives. So it's a whole big, you know, circle of life. I love
2: that. I got to steal one more question before uh, Elena brings us to play. You just mentioned the word journey. And we know that you and Doug and your two boys and the puppy recently went on its own journey.
1: Yes. Yes.
2: Let's, Let's break a little bit of news, even though we won't be breaking news in this this pod will air at the appropriate time. Uh, share, share the latest in terms of where the Fritz's are living.
1: And yeah, of course. So um, right now I'm sitting in an empty office. Our moving truck has not arrived yet. We've been um, waiting over a week now. So lots of, uh, you know, practice in what do they got? Project Elsa, let it go. Um, it'll all work out when it should be, but I'm actually in my office with no furniture, my home office in a camping chair with my puppy right next to me. And we are in the north suburbs of Chicago. And for those of those of uh, people listening that know me, I'm California girl born and raised, Northern California. And uh, Doug actually grew up outside of Chicago in Naperville. And so when we were thinking about where we wanted to set up the headquarters of F2, we did some real personal and professional introspection and deep dive about where that would be. The Californians, In my network, looked at me like I was absolutely crazy to move to the Midwest. Um, And, uh, you know, there's a lot of elements of that, you know, a lot of components that went into our decision, but we are um, setting up a hybrid. In person headquarters in, or we've set up an in person hybrid headquarters in downtown Chicago. And we're raising our family up uh, on the North Shore suburbs on Lake Michigan. And so, you know, beach life, but just a little ah. bit of lake life, beach life versus ocean, you know, Pacific beach life. So, um, you know, hopefully our furniture will arrive soon, but we've already just fallen in love with um, the community here and. Honestly, the growing tech presence in Chicago, they're some of the most, you know, some of our our favorite, you know, Morningstar and Vestnet. We've got Hightower and Crescent, our friends in the space. Chicago's booming. And so for us, we really wanted to find a central place that not only is close to family. So Doug uh, grew up in the Chicago area. So we've got, I've got, uh, we've got aunts and uncles and grandparents on a oh. farm a couple of hours outside of town. So we've got that, but we're also um, central to all of our clients and team members as well. And so what would normally be potentially a hindrance of getting completely off over you know across the country to see clients and and team members we can do that very easily from this central location so we're super excited i'm loving the warm nights and the fireflies yes all of that um call me in february see how i'm doing
2: um,
1: <laughs> but yeah i'm excited to 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 explore seasons because um you know i've i've just pretty much Oh you will Chicago. get seasons in yeah. Chicago Yes, I know. So um, no shortage of that. On your door, Elena, in February, and we can we can uh, go for a walk.
0: But I, I can't promise that it it's much warmer here in February, but it's definitely less windy.
1: There
0: you go. There you go. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, let's switch it up. It's time for our second segment. Let's play a little bit. This isn't quite a rapid fire round, but maybe it's sort of a version of that. Um, Liz, if it weren't financial services, what would you be doing?
1: So I actually studied to be a veterinarian. I don't know if you knew that. And so, and on top of that, an equine veterinarian. So I went to UC Davis. I'm an animal science and um, doubled in business major um, and worked for a year as a resident at the UC Davis Animal Hospital. So I think probably- I wouldn't be a veterinarian. That's also another conversation for another day. Um, but I would be working um, with animals in some capacity. I'm a huge animal lover and advocate for humane and rescues and um education around animal care so it would be something with animals
0: oh my gosh well i was an environmental studies major in college so we uh-huh. clearly have much to discuss offline
1: we do well well yeah a whole that we've got like four additional conversations i know we'll have to have you back
0: on um wow that's so cool and what so besides the australian labradoodle what do you do for fun what does that look like for team fritz
1: Um, well, so for me personally, what I find is fun. And I think you'll resonate with this, Elena is camper. So our dog's name is camper, like happy camper, um, going for walks. So that's my, that's my sanity is, um, hooking him up and taking him for a walk. So that to me, just being out in nature and connecting with just kind of like the energy that's away from a computer, away from corporate to me, that is kind of my personal fun and and self-care we're big adventurers. So we're, um, we have a camper van. Well, I think we, people probably know about Doug and the the man in the van. Um, so we like to just load up the, the van with the kids and the dog and hit the road and find a lake off a beaten path and uh, camp out and play chess and go explore and make little, you know, wooden tree stump boats and send them off. So for oh us, it's like, to, like keep it simple. So camping, um, nice. out of our um, camper van, and now we have a whole new section of the country to explore and all the cool lakes. And, um, you know, Doug was a rock climber. And so we can go see places that he used to rock climb. So for us, it's being out in nature, camping, and just to, like disconnecting from technology. The new personal goal, get invited
0: on the Fritz's camping trip. Because yes, yes we have a lot of shared interest wrapped up in there, including Making boats out of tree bark, you said. Yeah. That sounds great. I'm in.
1: Like a little bird feather in there. Uh, and you yes,
0: I've also been collecting feathers on my recent like outdoor excursions, and I told my boyfriend, I was like, I'm putting it out there. I'm collecting feathers right now, so if you see any, let me know. And yeah. he's brought a couple home from work to add to the collection, and I'm like, I wow. Love it. I now I know it. what the purpose is. It's the sale for my boat.
1: Yeah. And I can talk to you all about, or I'll put you on the phone with what my uh, one of my sons, because I'll tell you all about which are the ones that make their boat go fastest. And you'll want to you know, make sure you, you choose the right ones for a race if you're going to have that.
2: So how hard is it to not let a work call creep in to one of those walks with your dog? Are you steadfast? It never happens. This is Liz's time, or um, does it sometimes...
1: I would say it's a hybrid approach. Sometimes I intentionally set up meetings that are walk and talk. So I highly encourage if there's ones that you've got, uh, maybe it's one on one with your manager, or maybe it's a team meeting where you're not necessarily need to be um, writing notes down. Then you know, pop in your your um, you know earbuds and and take a walk and talk. And to me, that's that I do intentionally um, do that. Otherwise, I, I I have to tune out. So I'll yeah. leave my stuff at home. Um, I've got a, a watch on if some emergency happens and I have to call somebody, but I do, it, you know, it's 30, 40 minutes a day that I just plan. I, I book it like a meeting on my calendar yeah. honestly, and, and make totally. sure that it happens. Um, so I'd say, Jimmy, it's it's both, you know, it's, it's that fluidity between if I can't get it in today or maybe I get a personal walk and then I do a walk and talk and then I've got out twice, right? And yeah. again, creating that space for people it goes for well being as well, right? So, Elena, if you and I had to connect, but you're like, I haven't got my walk in. Let's walk and talk.
0: Oh, Perfect. yes! And now I know this about you. So, all yes. of our meetings are going to be while on walks. <laughs> Perfect. Um, yes. I remember just last week I had my meeting with Jason and brought like a little post-it note agenda with me that I kept pulling out of my fanny pack to reference while we were walking. Okay. <laughs> Worked okay. out and great.
1: nowadays you can record stuff too, right? So record. Yeah. my biggest life hack is like record and um, transcribe. Zoom has that little plugin. So just yeah. do that. It takes notes for you.
0: Perfect. Okay, well, last and final question. We like to wrap the show with a little moment of gratitude. So Liz, just shout out someone in the industry you admire, perhaps someone on your team or someone who you think may or may not be listening today, pick your person.
1: That is such a great, um, great question. I'm going to shout out, and she knows this because I've told her this many times, but Karen Lee. And now I think she's the chief business solutions officer at Mercer Advisors. But she was my first boss out of college. And not only was she an incredible female role model to me. She was, um, and still is, a mom of two boys. I had yet to know that, but always just immediately took in that role of putting me under her wing, teaching me the ropes um, about what corporate life looked like, showed me, you know, how to, the ins and outs of all the corporate things that you have to learn as a twenty, you know, 2 year old coming into college. And she has continued to be a friend and mentor to me to this day. And so Karen, if you're listening to this, um, just know, and I know that you know this, but you've been such an incredible female mentor to me my entire career. And it brings me so much joy to also see all of her success um, over at Mercer and the amazing things she's doing there. So that's my plug.
0: Awesome. Karen, we love you. And Liz, we love you. Thank you so much for being on the show. To our listeners, we hope that you learned something new and enjoyed hearing about Liz's incredible journey. Thank you to everybody who listened in today. Be sure to write us via email at at streetcredpr.com to tell us what you think, ask us any questions, suggest any guests, or even just to tell us what you had for breakfast today. Thanks again for tuning in. And we cannot wait to introduce you to our next guest. Liz, you're amazing. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Thanks,
0: Liz. Thank you for listening to Press Play, the Street Cred podcast. Visit our website at streetcredpr.com and find us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Please don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. And if you enjoyed the episode, we'd love nothing more than if you would rate and review the show. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Cred PR. The content has been made available for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only. If you have questions about the show or StreetCred PR, feel free to reach out to us. Thanks again for listening.